Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. So after giving you 48 games in one podcast, we took a break, my partner Gus and I, and now we're back on the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast, refreshed, replenished, and we're talking sweet 16. This is fantastic. I love that the previous podcast was so robust with every breakdown of every game and now we get to get specific really get you know key into these matchups and find what might be the difference making factor in the sweet 16 matchups and listeners welcome to the screen the screener college basketball podcast thank you always for tuning in where we're talking everything college hoops all the time thanks to blog talk radio for powering us up thanks to bell jar for bringing us in and out with our intro music mike are you prepared for the Sweet 16? Or do you feel like we're ready? Do you feel like we had enough rest? Do you feel like we're, we're going through a bit of withdrawal? I feel good. I, I feel really ready. I was exhausted last night. I was mentally shot, but I feel <laughs> fantastic. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> to- I feel better. I, I'm totally re- rested, refreshed, replenished. We got a snow day here out on the East Coast tomorrow. Fired up about that. And I'm locked in. I feel, Gus, that we have information now. We've seen these teams at the end of the regular season. We've seen them in the first round. We've seen them in the, in the second round. You know, we've seen battles, close, last-second shots. I, I feel strong about my thoughts on these games. I, I'm ready. I also feel strong about my thoughts on these games, too. Listeners, just so you know, Mike and I talked about the map, the avenue that the podcast will travel down. But we have not discussed who we like in each game nope, previously. Haven't discussed it at all. Nope. So we're we're going to be as surprised as you are as listeners going in on which way Mike and I are going to go. We could agree on all eight. Genuine reflection coming up here. Or we could disagree on all eight. I'm sure we'll have a few in common. But I have some strong thoughts on a couple of games, and I know, Mike, that you do. Do you think we should just dive in for the listeners and 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 let it rip here? Yeah. Skip the Seton Hall game. I don't think they're going to make it this round. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Shot number one at Willard. Here we go. Woo! <laughs> get that digging, right? <laughs> Listeners, we're going to start you off with Thursday, March 22nd. We're going to start with the number 11 seed, one of the best stories of the whole entire conference, Loyola Chicago. They are playing equally one of the most beautiful stories of the whole entire tournament, number seven, Nevada. You can view that game on CBS. It will start at 7.07. Uh, Loyola Chicago had to defeat a nationally ranked uh, during the season Miami team and Tennessee team that was nationally ranked pretty much all season after they got off to a hot start. And Nevada uh, had to defeat a Mo Bamba led team who's going to be an NBA lottery pick and a Cincinnati team, the number two uh, defensive efficiency team via Ken Palm the entire season. So both of these teams come in. Uh, you know, having to, you know, navigate a securitous route to get to this point. And you love that 11 is playing a seven in the Sweet 16 to get to the Elite Eight. So, Mike, I'm just going to kick it to you. What do you see is happening in this game with Loyola Chicago and Nevada? Uh, do you have a feel which way? What do you think are the difference making factors in this game? This is a fascinating game because it's two teams that most people thought would not be here. You and I thought Nevada could be here. Correct. The only reason you stayed on the bus, you're, you're on, I'm diving trying to get back on the bus as you're speeding down the street here. The only reason I jumped off was the injuries. If this Correct. team was fully healthy, I probably would have put them in the Elite Eight and maybe the Final Four. That's how much I liked them. But I didn't think they could overcome the injuries. Looking at these two teams, it's, it's fascinating. Loyola Chicago has the absolute best win in my mind in terms of the talent of the team they played. They played a Tennessee team that won or tied rather, but tied for the regular season SEC championship. And which, which you which you could argue is was the best conference in the country this year. You can argue it. I'm not saying it is, but I think that was that that conference is in the conversation of that. Sure. And then they lost in the SEC finals, close game, to Kentucky. And they beat that team Tennessee. They didn't surprise them because Loyola Chicago had defeated Miami, so they didn't sneak up on them. That is a great win. Now, Nevada, obviously, when you come back from 22 points down against a really great Cincinnati team, that's a great win also. But I don't give as much credence to the miracle, incredible, 
living on the edge, hit the music. We should have lost to Texas and Mo Bamba fouled out. And then all of a sudden we couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for the second time at the start of the first half of each game. But then we caught fire, baby. And, and Kayla, Cody and Caleb Martin are rising up because they have arms that are go-go gadget arms and they're <laughs> shooting threes from half court. And Caroline is just that little engine that can inside, you know, Kendall Stevens got like three braces on his body, but he's banging threes. That's a great comeback, but the greatest win to me is Loyola Chicago. So I, I think this is going to be a great game. I can't wait to watch it, by the way. But here are my really quick thoughts, and then give me what you got. Yep. Nevada was down 14 to Texas in the second half. They rallied to win. Mm-hmm. They shot 39.4% in the first half, only 26 points, but then caught fire 60% and 61 points in the second half against right. a, a good Texas defensive team. Very good Texas defensive team. They tra- Agreed. They trailed Agreed. Cincinnati 44-32 at halftime, which means they trailed at halftime in five straight games now. Okay? They're only shooting 21 of 36 from the free throw line, which is 58% if you combine both games. Now, they don't turn the ball over. They're number one in the nation in turnovers on offense. Number one. Number one via Kempom in turnovers. They don't turn the ball over. They don't really defend well. They're 109th in defensive efficiency, but they right. defend and shoot the three well. They shoot the three well, and they defend the three well. Yep. Loyola Chicago, their really only weakness has been offensive rebounding. They are 332nd in the nation as per Kempom, but they are 27th in adjusted adjusted defensive efficiency. My issue is that Nevada doesn't really rebound well on the offensive end. They are 241st in offensive rebounding percentage and 206th in defensive rebounding percentage. So... To me, it's a banged-up Nevada team that can't really get early fouls in the first half because they have a short bench. Mm -hmm. That means they let teams get into an offensive flow. And then here – cue the music. Here I come to save the day. Martin Brothers banging threes from half court, and they don't rebound well. They should have lost to Texas. Mo Bamba fouled out. They should have lost to Cincinnati. Mick Cronin gagged it, and Cumberland fouled out. I just think they run out of those miracles now. I, I do. I Unless they get off to a flying hot start, but against the Loyola Chicago team that plays really good defense, I don't see that happening. So I think that Nevada has done so much. They've overcome so much. Sweet 16, fantastic year. Musselman, shirt off, dropping F-bombs. Everybody's fired up. Who doesn't love Simeon Rice's son, Jordan Caroline, who looks like he's playing football when he's out there? I just think they run out of lives. I think they've they've overcome so much so so far. Loyola Chicago is sound, defensive. Q sister Jean. I think Loyola Chicago wins this game. Well, podcast is off to a good start. I'm on the other side. <laughs> very and good, very good. Here are my reasons for being on the other side. When Loyola Chicago looks at the roster that Nevada is going to put out there, and I know the roster is only like you know eight guys deep or seven guys deep at this point. You know what they see? The exact same thing. And you know what else they see? They see the exact same thing with slightly more skilled players on the offensive end. They see similar length. This Nevada team is now rested up. They can rest all those nagging injuries that you uh, referenced in your diatribe earlier. Jordan Caroline is going to be a menace on the offensive board because that's sometimes his best offensive move. And you mentioned Loyola Chicago's lack of efficiency on the uh, defensive uh, rebounding side. So I can see Caroline finding some seams and creases in that and then getting a couple of easy buckets put and putbacks. And the bugaboo for Nevada this entire year has been, what do they do with a traditional big? Is Carson Shanks, the seven-footer that Loyal Chicago has hiding on the bench, really that much better than Mo Bamba or Brandon McCoy or any of the other bigs that Nevada has navigated to a win this year? No, I don't think so. So I think with a little karma, I think with a, a equal length on the perimeter, I think with a little rest getting rested up, I think with Jordan Caroline hitting the offensive boards and everybody else getting back on defense – I see the Wolfpack getting to the Elite Eight, and I think I was just a year early on them getting to the Elite Eight. So I love Nevada here, and I love Nevada the minus two as well. I think that this is a Wolfpack win, and I think that Cody Martin does some work on the perimeter that Loyola Chicago will have no idea what to do with. I don't think Ingram's going to know what to do with it. I don't think Custer's going to know what to do with it. I don't know if they're going to know like how to handle what he's going to bring 
on all fronts across the box score, I don't know if they're going to have somebody that can match that. So I think Caroline and Cody are the difference makers here. And due to the matchup and the similarities that they have in length, I don't think Loyola Chicago possesses any advantage whatsoever over Nevada in this matchup. So I love Nevada in this matchup. So we are on complete other sides of the turnpike here. You just don't you don't think though that Nevada I mean definitely the reason they've gotten off to slow starts and they've trailed in five consecutive games. So I mean the slow starts are a pattern now. It's got to be tied into the fact that they can't get in foul trouble. They know it, Musselman knows it. So I just think they're very passive. I don't think you want this Loyola Chicago team getting very comfortable and hoping for bomb threes from half court to get you back in. I mean like like the, the, you know I get it that the spin move to the center, the Martins they extend, but I don't I don't see Loyola Chicago breaking down defensively. I, I don't. And I also think that they have a point guard. I mean, remember, Custer is the player of the year in the Missouri right. Valley. You Correct. know, Justin Jennifer ain't the player anywhere. So they're going to have to play. They got a real point guard here. I'll tell you this. They get this one. There's no reason they can't get the next one. I, I know it could be Kentucky. Totally I, with th- you. They get this one, and God, if they get this one, I mean, uh, uh, can you imagine, guys, Elite Eight, after everything they went through, didn't beat a ranked team all year long. Didn't beat not a one. And then they need a desperation comeback against Texas, but they get it. They need a desperation, desperation comeback against Cincinnati, but they get it. And now, imagine they get comfortable here and beat a Loyola Chicago team. You think Kentucky's going to scare them? Hell no. Nope. No, because they match up well with them length lengthwise and athletically wise as well. And what's the one thing that you think Coach Musselman is going to have his guys concentrate on on defense? Like there, there's only going to be one area that he's going to have those guys focus in on. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be running those guys off the three-point line. So I, 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 I see if they're going to focus anywhere. I know their defensive efficiency number is in the triple digits and it's like ugly and it's disgusting to look at. And it's not that, you know, it doesn't fit the mold of a team that you're going to pick to get to the Elite Eight. But if – that guy has proven to be an unbelievable coach on for multiple occasions for multiple reasons on multiple levels. And this is just the, the re- most recent example. So I think he's going to have those guys run Loyola off the three-point line, dare them to beat them with bad twos. And I don't know if Loyola Chicago can beat a team with bad twos. I, I don't know if that's their MO to win a game. I don't know if they're going to be prepared to do that on the offensive end. You know, it's funny. I, I like Musselman. I think he's done a great job at Nevada, rips his shirt off every day. That's great. I don't know if he's more than a let's go guy. Like, I know Porter Moser is not a let's go guy because Porter Moser's coaching Loyola Chicago. Now, listen, I want to see Musselman coach. And to win this game, he's got to coach. You're right. He's got to run those guys off the three point line. I want to see this. I want to see what they could come out in. I want to see his defensive strategy. Yep. I'm just, you know, again, I'm, um, I'm looking at a guy who has a great season. I'm just trying to be specific in who's going to win this game. To me, defense, Loyola Chicago. Three-point shooting, I think it's close. I'll give it to Nevada. Right. Sure. Um, and most impressive win in the tournament, I'll give to Nevada in terms of the talent level of the team they're playing. And the point guard position, I'll give a, 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 head, a little nod to Loyola Chicago. But I think it's a very, very close game. And I think it's a really exciting game. To be honest – out of all eight of these games, this is tied for number one for I me agree. as I far agree, as yeah. like which one I want to watch. I agree. Without, without question. Well said. All right. Let's move down to number seven, Texas A&M playing number three, Michigan. That's going to be at 737 on TBS. So switch the station there if you're a Michigan fan or you're an Aggie fan. And Texas A&M had to defeat a very live Providence team that played unbelievably well early on in the game and got out to a big lead in Texas A&M. Texas A&M had to patch it together back, and then they upset the defending champions, UNC, and not only upset them, but beat them by a large margin and put a spanking on them. Michigan has had to, you know, reach into the bag of tricks, and they had to defeat a very uh, hot team coming in, uh, San Diego State. Uh, that won their conference title and came in with a, a long winning streak and then had to evade uh, Rob Gray and Houston and have a, a pool three-pointer on one of the most iconic plays of the tournament thus far to move on. So we have Texas A&M at 22 and uh, 12 and Michigan at 30 and 7. 
Mike, what do you see in the Texas A&M-Michigan matchup that we're going to see in these, uh, on the Thursday slate, one of the early games? I'm not buying Texas A&M. I'm still not buying it. I, I know they're hot. I know they look good. I know since they had zero points when, when you showed up, we were watching the game there at, at Tiffs in, in New Jersey. Right. I, 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 <laughs> great, that, great point. They, they no, and from that point, they've been doing windmill dunks. I get it. I'm going with Beeline. I'm going with the three-point shooting. I'm going with the fact that Texas A&M has been disappointing all year long. And the only reason they passed the mantle to the most disappointing team in this entire season of Seton Hall for me is because they caught fire here the last two games. I think Beeline will be ready for him. I think, Texas, I think Texas A&M reverts to their mean of making mistakes and turning balls over. I, I know the bigs inside worry me. I, I understand that. And when you, when you look at Michigan, they struggle on offensive rebounding, which is not good to hear when you're going against Texas A&M. And Texas totally. A&M defends the three well, 31.8% uh, defensive efficiency from the three line. They have the 20th best defense in defending the three-pointer, which would be a problem for Michigan. But on the flip side, they're only 263% at shooting the three themselves. Ter- I, ter- besides Hogue, they're awful. Yeah, I think you got to be able to do that to beat Michigan. I know that the number and, – and the reason the line is low is because they'll go by the metrics when they do the line. I understand that. And if you look at the numbers here, correct. Texas A&M is 10th in defensive efficiency in the country. Texas A&M is 12th in effective defensive field goal percentage. Texas A&M is 8th in block shots. Texas, I, I understand that. Their, but, their, their profile mimics – uh, UNC from last year. That's what right. their defensive profile. Yes, the defensive profile mimics. Yes, I, I. But you know what? I'll take backside action over this all day long. I'll <laughs> I ta- love that. I'll I'll take the Teske coming in. Okay, about two minutes in every game for Wagner, so he doesn't get in foul trouble. They'll spread the floor. Guards beat bigs. We've seen that the entire tournament. That's why I'll take Michigan. I think Michigan moves on here. I cannot see Texas A&M Gus after the season they had. And the mm-hmm. ups and downs, and three guys suspended to start the season, and then kicking a couple guys off, and all the others, and and, and Rob Williams being on the Robert Williams being on the side of a milk carton after I predicted, predicted him to be an All American. Okay, sure. I can't see them getting to the Elite Eight and getting by a coach and a program as hot as the Michigan Wolverines. So here's what I'm going to say here: I'm not going to argue with you directly. I'm not going to disagree with you wholeheartedly like we did with the first game. But I'm just going to ask the question, and, and then I'll, 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 conti- I'll continue my retort. Is Texas A&M that seven seed like South Carolina last year? I don't know. They have an NBA player like Sundaris Thornwell. They have, they, you know, they have Robert Williams. I'm not sure. This is really tough. This is one of the toughest games in the Elite Eight that I had to pick. It's very, very, very under the radar. Number one, I'm going to say look at the under here. I, I think the under is a very live play. I'm not sure if that number is out yet. But I think that's worth paying attention to. What does Michigan do when Mo Wagner gets into foul trouble? Because that will happen here when he's trying to defend either one of Texas A&M's very talented bigs, whether it be a Williams or Davis. I'm not sure. I think that's a, a dilemma that Coach Beeline is going to have to solve in-game. And I think his in-game coaching is going to then reflect and, and, and it's going to show, and, 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 and we're all going to see that, wow, he's an amazing coach because he made this decision because Mo Wagner was in foul trouble. I think Texas A&M is going to keep this thing really close. I think it's going to be a one-possession game with about three minutes to go. And then I think Michigan is going to pull away with a made three, and then they'll finish it off at the line. So I think Texas A&M is actually going to play really close here. Uh, I think Michigan will cover the minus three. Uh, I think that they will get that number uh, at the foul line, but I don't think that Texas A&M will be out of this game until the last few possessions in the second half because of their talent, because of the bigs, um, and because I think it's just going to be a slowly paced game. And with less possessions like that, I don't think anybody's going to get out to a giant lead. So give me Michigan. Give it to me close. Give me Michigan by six in a closer game than six points might narrate as we go back and look at the box scores. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I agree with you on everything. I, I'll give the points as well. The other thing, too, is I'd be a little more hesitant if Michigan had not defeated teams with bigs inside. But they went to Michigan State on January 13th. They won 82-72. Yeah. They played Michigan State. In the Garden, 175-64. Played yep. Purdue with Isaac Haas. 
on March on March fourth. I understand Vincent Edwards a little banged up there, but they did deal with that big seventy five sixty six. Yep. They also beat K to beats K to beats Diop seventy four sixty two at home. They've seen bigs before. I don't see lackadaisical, lazy bigs that have been up and down all year defeating Michigan. So I'm with you, bro. I'm taking yeah. Michigan. I'm giving the points. I, I I do think the Aggies will play inspired ball, and I do think that. They realize this is an opportunity that they can move forward with, but I also think I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust Wagner. I'm going to trust Matthews. I'm going to trust Poole if he gets a touch in a late game situation. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to trust those players, and I'm going to most importantly, I'm going to trust Beeline in this situation, even if he's faced with some adversity with Mo Wagner getting in foul trouble, trying to deal with those NBA type bigs. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to one, the first late game on Thursday, March twenty second, and let's go with number nine Kansas State, who's twenty four and eleven, and uh, they're going to play the number five seed Kentucky, who's twenty six and ten. This game is at nine thirty seven on CBS. Uh, Kansas State had to defeat Creighton in that like interesting uh, Foster like get back revenge game. They had to deal with that dynamic and that storyline in that game, but that seemed to be a non-factor when you go back and look at things and reflect upon that game. And then they had to defeat the best story, the finest story, the most unbelievable story that we've seen in college basketball. They had to defeat a 16 seed in the second round. Let that sink in. Kansas State had to defeat a 16 seed in the second round. And yes, they defeated UMBC uh, in a very low-scoring affair, uh, and they took out the 16 seed, even though that 16 seed was very live, and it was a three-point game with about two and change to play. So Kansas State gets to move on. Kentucky had to defeat an unbelievably efficient Davidson team on offense, and then they had to defeat uh, you know another upstart. Uh, Buffalo and Buffalo, you know, only took down like one of the teams that everybody had in the final four, including myself in the first round. So they, you know, that you may look at those teams and say like, oh, they defeat Davidson and Buffalo to get to this point. But Davidson and Buffalo, unbelievable teams this year and, 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 and prove themselves in this tournament to do that, to be that exact thing. Unbelievable team. So Mike, with Kansas State and Kentucky, which way are you leaning here? Are you feeling one, strongly one way or the other? Or, or do we feel like this is just like Kentucky's bracket if they don't mess it up? I don't know if it's Kentucky's bracket. I, I, that, that I'm not ready to say. Not ready to say okay. a team that wasn't seeded for two weeks before the tournament started. So I, I can't give them any bracket. People are saying that because it's Kentucky. Right. Thinking back to, you know, to, to, to the glory days. And I, I understand that. But I wouldn't go that far. But in this game, I think they got it. Wade, we're still hoping he's going to play. I, right. I, you know, with the exception of what happened with uh, St. Bonaventure with, with Miss Courtney Stockard, right? Right, right. All right. Normally, if they're injured, it means that they're not going to come out and drop 26. So they're already against the eight ball. And which, by, which, which really points out how amazing that Stockard game was. Right. You know, and then right, you have the right, Nevada right. doctors who pull Mr. Miyagi in and all of a sudden Martin Brothers fine. But, you know, right, right. but I, I the, the Kentucky has actually gotten better at defending the three. They are now holding opponents to under 30% from three-point range as per Kempom. They're at 29.8%. Now, Kansas State isn't a tremendous three-point shooting team. They only shoot about 34% from three. But let's put this through. They were fortunate to get by UMBC. They lost Wade. He's coming back off injury. They don't shoot the three great. So I don't really see the way they win this game. I mean, they're very good defensively. They're 20th in defensive efficiency. So they're going to have to slop it up a little bit. Sure. But they're not great on the rebounding. They're terrible on the offensive glass, 266 in the country, 307th on the defensive glass. So they don't shoot the three great. And even if they did, Kentucky shuts it down. Their go-to guy, all Big 12, is injured or at least coming off an injury. And they're terrible on the glass. I, I don't know how I don't pick Kentucky. Gilgis Alexander's been scalding hot. We know Knox is a weeble, but he's making sh- some shots. Maybe, you know, maybe Hamadou Dalla wakes up for the first time in a year and a half. I think it's Kentucky. I'll take Kentucky comfortably. I think the spread is what? Six, five, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I think it's at five and a half. Yeah, I, I would give that. I just – I don't – this is similar to Davidson game to me, Gus, by the way, which is deadly because Davidson actually pushed. But I, I don't see the schematic that Davidson is going to beat Kentucky when Kentucky's great defending the three. I don't see the schematic here that Kansas State with all those things against them beats Kentucky. Full agreement here. Not like the first two games that we had where we had absolute disagreement and partial agreement. Full agreement with you here. Here's why. Number one, uh, Shea Gillers-Alexander may be the worst matchup in the tournament 
if you're a, an opposing coach? Like, what in the world do you do with this guy? Do you cover him on the three? Do you double team him? He, he, I, I, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what I would do with him if I was an opposing coach. Like, he's at that point where you're like, what do I even do with this guy? Like, how do I deal with this? And then you brought up the Dean Wade situation. Look, Wade is, is I, I mentioned this, uh, you know, very early in the season, not very early, but midway through the season that he's an NBA player waiting to happen. He's going to get a cup of coffee in the NBA, if not much more. And if you don't have him on your team and you don't have your first team all Big 12 player ready to roll to play a Kentucky team that owns a top 25 offensive efficiency number and a top 25 defensive efficiency number that Kentucky does own right now. And they're one of the few teams in the country that does that. Like if you're not going to have your best player to attack that, then like, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot threes. And what did you say in your diatribe? What is Kentucky great at on defense defending the three? Like, so there's no counter here for Kansas State as far as I'm concerned. I don't think that they have like a blueprint for them to go in and say like, look, this is how we're going to win this game. Kentucky's too much. There's too much. Like, you know, Kansas State like, you know, played Creighton with no crample and they were able to deal with that. But and they, you know, they had to beat, you know, 16 seed. But to be honest, I love Kentucky in a blowout here. I think this is going to get ugly. In the second half, I think Kansas State will play, you know, interesting the first half. But I can totally see Kentucky pulling this thing away and winning by double digits here. So I really like Kentucky moving on. By no means am I giving them any bracket or anything. But in this particular matchup, I'm in total agreement with you here. Love Kentucky. That's funny. I don't see Kentucky blowing anybody. I don't think they're good enough. I I, I think Gildas Alexander has been really great and Knox Mm -hmm. has some jumpers. I don't think they've blown anybody out. I, I can't. I don't. I don't think they've blown anybody out in a long time. I, I think Kansas State will hang around in this game. I just, for all the reasons you said, I think they make enough plays in the end to 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 win. And I, I think it's the matchups. It's all about the matchups, man. We've talked about it, and I think yeah. that Kentucky's got a nice trip here, and this is another trip. I don't know about next round, but for now, I'm with you, and I give the points. I would. Yeah, without question. Um, uh, I think we're in agreement on both ends there as far as a winner and point spread. Uh, And then we'll finish up Thursday. We have number nine, Florida State, which is 22 and 11, playing the number four seed, Gonzaga, which is 32 and four. And you could find this game on TBS. Game start is at 9.59, which means it'll be a little bit after 10, probably. Florida State had to beat a Michael Porter influenced Missouri team oh and then had God. to take oh can we stop just talk I can't take I keep hearing about Michael Porter had, had, to, had to mention it just for that just for just for that little that Michael little Porter uh, how did I pick Michael Porter and I hate Michael Porter oh my God Sorry. and then they had to take down the number one seed in in, in, in their particular bracket Xavier Gonzaga had to take down UNCG and uh, shot maker Francis Alonso and they had to take down one of the most surprising teams pleasantly surprising teams from the Big Ten Ohio State and Kata Bates Diop. So, Mike, where are you leaning this way on the final game on Thursday with a number nine seed Florida State playing the number four seed Gonzaga? Florida State blew out Missouri because Missouri stinks and Porter did nothing. Florida State then goes into against Xavier. They foul a lot, they slop it up a little bit, and they also played a game in which they were totally back to normal. And what I mean by that is, when they played Missouri, Florida State, they shot 7 of 15 from three-point range. That is not what they normally do. They are averaging 35.3 from three-point range. That's 148th in the country. So mm-hmm. then they go up against Xavier. And mm-hmm. Xavier has – now listen, they, they they play defense, Florida State. They get up after you. They do a nice job on defense. They do a nice job defending the twos. They block a lot of shots. We know that. Yeah, they're they're very athletic, and they always have a big in the middle to disrupt. They're not great on the defensive boards, but they do hit the offensive boards. They're absolutely horrific at free throw shooting. They're 283rd in the country, 68.5 uh, from from the line. And then when they went against Xavier, they were 8 of 23. They're back to normal. Now, the reason they beat Xavier is because Xavier is only 5 of 13. Thanks, J.P. McCura, for going nuts on Texas Southern and then right. having a good game against at Florida State, but a more normal game, and then fouling out. So they're going to pick up full court. That's what they've done in the first two games. I think it's a mistake against Gonzaga. I Total. Think, even though Perkins isn't a, you know, I, I would. No, no, no. I, I think here, here I'm just going to interject super fast. I don't mean to like take away, take you away from your breakdown. 
I think Perkins in that situation is perfect because he's so shifty that he'll love breaking through that and then making a decision once he breaks through that. I I, I think he's like uh, uh, underrated athletically and a really underrated ball handler in the open court. In the half court, different situation. But in the open court, I think he's really effective. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think they'll get a lot of easy buckets on Florida State. And listen, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that they didn't play well against UNC Greensboro. But Hashimura was in foul trouble. And Gonzaga always has trouble in the first game. But then they were in a whole lot of trouble in that second game. They gave that lead up to Ohio State. Ohio mm-hmm. State came all the way back. Well, we'll rationalize it as Kata Bates Diop, right? Okay, well, at what point are we not rationalizing? Like, at what point are we going to be like, maybe there's some issues there with Gonzaga? I, I don't, I, I've been concerned. I expected that second game, when it started with a 15 nothing Gus, I expected that one to be over. Okay? Like to just roll. You just wanted to keep yeah, rolling. And, yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm a little concerned about this one. But I still will lean with Rory Hashimura. I don't think Tilly will have two bad shooting games back to back. I don't love the backcourt. I, 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 you saw that a while ago. You called it, and I, I get it. I know you love Kispert. I, I mean, I, I just, I don't see a three points, five point guy off the bench. I mean, I, I think he's okay. He's got the retirement body going. I, I don't see that from him. But I love Hashimura. I love Tilly, and most of all, you know, I'm going to say it. I love Mark Few. So I think that Florida State has shown warts and their athleticism has been able to get them by. I kind of like Jonathan Williams in this game too. Yeah. I'll take Gonzaga. I'll give the points. I think Florida State is not an Elite 18. I guess. that make any sense? Uh, it makes sense because I'm going to agree with you. Okay. <laughs> is that fair? Right. That's good. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So here, here's my two cents on this game. I'm going to back up a lot of what you said there. Um, I, you know, even though Florida State, like, kind of, I don't know, mirrors what South Carolina was last year, right, uh, right. metric-wise. Yes. Yes. Right. Like, you know, they're 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 very generic on both the offensive end and the and the defensive end. I I, I know. Okay. Sorry, South Carolina fans. They were borderline elite on the defensive end, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like nothing, like totally jumped out at you. Here's the one thing that did jump out at you: Cinderish Thornwell was an absolute stud, and he is an NBA player, and 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 your roster contained him. Florida State does not contain a Cinderish Thornwell. In fact, their candidate to be Cinderish Thornwell, Terrence Mann, is you know nursing a, a groin injury, so he's hampered. He's going to be limited. He's not going to be his normal self. So it's a far cry from Cinderella's Thornwell. I think because that's the situation, and if you have a healthy Terrence Mann, then maybe that script comes to life and actually, uh, you know, is 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 played out, and the lines are red, and then Florida State can actually find a way to victory. But if he's not healthy, I don't see a singular way that Florida State can pull off a victory here. Here are the things that I'm going to say about uh, Gonzaga. They own a top 15 offensive efficiency number and a top 15 defensive efficiency number via Ken Palm. Again, they're one of, uh, you know, they're, they're even higher than Kentucky. They're literally one of a handful of teams that possess those metrics. Here's the other thing I'm going to tell you. As long, and, and I've been harping on this the last couple of podcasts, as long as Melson and Perkins don't have too much scoring responsibility to take care of this Zags team, then they are going to be unbelievably excellent. If the scoring responsibility goes to Tilly, goes to Williams, like you said, and I, I love Williams and then it's a matchup too, so it was a great call on your part. I love that I, I love the Williams matchup against Florida State. I think as long as he stays out of foul trouble early, I think he's gonna put up some big numbers. I can see him putting up twenty plus here, maybe even a double double. I can see Tilly doing his thing here, and of course we saw Hachimura do his thing in the in the last game against Ohio State and play Kata Bates Diop, the the Big Ten Player of the Year, to a standstill, if not outplaying him. So the, the, all of those factors put me in the Gonzaga win bandwagon, and also I you know I like Gonzaga in the points here, so I, I, I'm 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 on both sides with you here, and for those reasons. See, my, my only issue here, I like Gonzaga, but the only thing that I, you know, I was a little warmer on them when the, when the tournament started. I, I think that that defensive efficiency number for Gonzaga is baloney. 
I don't care what the defensive efficiency says. I care what right. I, my mind's like. They gave up 41 second half points to UNC Greensboro and then right. 84 points to Ohio State. Now, you're going to tell me that, the, oh, well, they're good def- offensive team. Well, there's a lot of good offensive teams that are left. I don't think you're playing any defense. And when you give up 84 points to Ohio State and you out rebound them 39 25, you're not playing any defense because how the heck are they scoring? Se- so, yeah, sec- second half, I think that was questionable. I agree with like you. I, I, so, but I do go back to the fact that I think, and now I'll go the flip side, man. I always yeah. say Gonzaga doesn't shoot threes well, right? Or, or they don't, they don't, they don't, here, Here's the beauty of this, and I, I, I don't know which way we're going to go with this. They don't need to. Well, no, they need to. You, you, you can't. They're not going to be Florida. They, they need to. You, you can't be Florida State inside. You know, because because Tilly's not a back to the basket player. Williams, they're going to have to make some threes. I just think they will. They're only 77th in the country in three point shooting percentage, but Florida State is terrible against defending the three. So maybe Gonzaga doesn't shoot it great. But you're going to give Zach Norvell Jr. and Perkins and Kispert and those guys pretty much open reign to shoot. That's a problem. So I think I I, 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 I say look out there. I agree with that. I, I don't think they I would need say, to do it, but I agree with you. I I I don't see because they're not going to. Florida State's big inside. They they're not they're not going to be able to pound them inside. I but I think when you look at the end of the best box score game, I think that Gonzaga shoots over forty percent from three point range. And if that happens, game over. I bet if they shoot over thirty five percent, I think it's game over. How about that? I'm even going to go lower. I don't even think they need to shoot it super efficiently. I just think they need to get a couple of makes and then stretch the defense. And then, you know, then they have some creases and soft spots in their defense. And then I think they go to town. Uh, what do you think? You want to go to Friday? Hit it. Okay. So now we're going to move to the Friday games for the uh, Sweet 16. We're going to start with number five, Clemson, playing number one, Kansas. Clemson is 25-9. and nine. They defeated New Mexico State, my beloved New Mexico State, in a tough game after uh, Zach Lofton went off for like 29 points. And they defeated an Auburn team and crushed them, destroyed them. It was one of the most lopsided games in, in the tournament. And then you have a Kansas team, the number one seed, that's 29-7. and seven. They defeated uh, an upstart Ivy Penn team, kept it close the first half. And then they had to hold Seton Hall off and uh, uh, and 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 put up with uh, Angel Delgado going for 20, 20 plus, 20 boards, 20 rebounds plus. And then they had Carrington making floaters and pull up threes in the in the final two minutes to keep that game close. So we have the number one seed Kansas versus the number five seed Clemson. Uh, this game is at 7:07 CBS on Friday, March 23rd. Mike, give, give us the breakdown. What do you think is going to happen with Clemson and Kansas? If you're going to beat Kansas, you're going to have to pound them inside. Mm. That's their weakness. If mm. you look at Kansas's advanced metrics, they are 293rd on the defensive backboard. 293rd on keeping teams off the backboard. They very only, un, very unbill self-like. They only have Azabuki. I mean, I know mm-hmm. Sylvie D'Souza. I know. Okay, I'm not, it's fine. I'm not a big D'Souza guy. Okay. Uh, and they're 167th in offensive rebounding, which isn't great either. The key to them is they shoot the lights out on offense, 57.9% from the field. They also shoot 40.3% from three. That's ninth. So if right. you go to Clemson's profile and you try to see what does Clemson do well, what do they not do well, they're good against defending twos. And they're yeah. 166th against defending threes. So if they had Grantham, I think this could be a good matchup. I think the guards match up well. I think Clemson is playing over their head here. I think they need big, big games from Gabe DeVoe, who's shooting 40% from three. Marquise Reed. I like Mihailik. I like Graham in this game. Graham had a bad game against Seton Hall. The script against knocking off Kansas is pounding them inside. That's the script really getting after them. I don't think Clemson has the personnel anymore to execute that. Uh, what's the spread on this one? The spread here is Kansas minus four. That's, that's about right. I'll give the points here. I'll take yeah. Kansas. Uh-huh. I like Clemson. They were a lot better. I was making fun of Bromel. He's going to get a new contract. So I, I, have no, I have no problem with that. I'm happy for the Clemson fans. I just don't think that Clemson has the matchup. In many ways, Seton Hall had it. Did you see what Angel Delgado did to him? That's the way you're going to go. And I don't think you need an Angel Delgado guy. I just don't think that they're going to be able to do that. I know Elijah Thomas. I get it. But I'll take Kansas. I'll give the points. Yeah, I think I would love to argue with you here and find, uh, you know, find a debate point. But I I don't have it. 
I think if Azubuki can even play 20 meaningful minutes, I think this is a huge Kansas win. Um, I, I don't think I, I don't think Clemson will wilt here. I don't think that they'll just roll over. And you saw that in the Auburn game. I think they're going to like actually come out and like effort and play unbelievably hard. But I, I can see Kansas as long as Azubuki can come in and play those twenty meaningful minutes and be like a you know a plus minus of like you know plus ten. I, I, I think that's the difference maker here. You would love I, I kind of love the backcourt matchup with uh, Devoe. You mentioned Devoe and Reed, and I'd love to see the matchup with uh, you know uh, uh, Graham and and um, Mahailuk and 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 that that would be. I, I think that's kind of an even matchup, and I'd love to see those two guys outplay them. Uh, for the Tigers, but I don't think it's going to happen just because Graham has played and showed so well in big games. Um, and then, you know, throw in, uh, you know, you throw in legit, uh, uh, throw in Vic into the, the equation. And then boom, if he goes for like double digits, then I think we're looking at a, you know, a Kansas win by seven, eight, nine points. And that number is very comfortable. So I'm kind of with you here for the Kansas win and, and the betting number as well. Auburn can't make threes on the road. We talked about this like five yeah. game sample size since the right. since they they got beat at, at South Carolina. Kansas is going to make some threes. Malik Newman is going to make some threes. The Graham and Mihailik. Just please, guys, don't help off of Mihailik when Graham drives. It's all I'm asking you, Bromel. Okay, but either way, I'll take Kansas. Do you think you think Newman is going to continue playing at such a high level that what he's been doing? Like it seems like in the tournament, he's he's. Arguably, I don't know, I, I, what, a top 15 player in the tournament? It seems like he's playing out of his head. This is the best I've seen him play all season. Do you think he continues? Oh, we go back to Jesse Newell, who said he thought that Malik Newman could be the leading scorer on the team. That's what he talked about. He said he had a great summer. Yeah, I think he does. I think it's, it's, Good the, point. it's the UMBC effect. It's the uh, uh, the Buffalo effect. Hey, we're making threes. I'm going to keep shooting them. Malik Newman's going to come out shooting against Clemson. Absolutely. And I think they're going to go in. Yeah. Great point. Wow. That You know what? I, I kind of forgot about that conversation. Unbelievable recall there. That, that That's fascinating. All right. Let's go to uh, number five, West Virginia versus number one, Villanova. West Virginia is 26 and 10. They defeated Murray State with uh, Stark, who is the player of the year in that conference. And then they defeated Marshall, um, who had Elmore and Pavina, who were unbelievable shot blocker. They, they, they played a really unique style. And the number one seed, Villanova, is 32-4. and four. They defeat Radford, uh, Carly Jones. Uh, they, Radford came in hot. They won the playing game. And then they defeat Alabama and Colin Sexton, who's going to be an NBA uh, you know, lottery pick. At the very worst, uh, you know, end of the lottery, maybe even higher in the lottery, depending on your NBA scouting. Um, so, Mike, with West Virginia and Villanova, I think this has to be one of the top games that we're looking forward to. You can find this game at uh, 727 on TBS. I think everybody's going to be tuned into this game as well. Which way are you leaning here? Are you feeling like West Virginia can get it done on the defensive end? Or do you think Villanova is a little too efficient on the offensive end? I got a Villanova friend at work. And I love the the 90% of people, folks, that you talk to are knee-jerk reaction sports fans, okay? So (laughs) right now, the Villanova fans are flying high. They're sitting there going, how is this line only five? How is the line only five? What do you want the line to be? Do you think you're the 84 Celtics or something like that? 85 Celtics? Is that what you think you are right now? People, Villanova, how is it only five and a half? Maybe Vegas knows. Vegas knows what? It's Bob Huggins with a senior point guard who's maybe one of the best players in the tournament so far. What are you talking about, guys? Gus, this is the one I am the most confident on. Without a doubt, here is what's going to happen. Villanova is going to be in a slobber knocker against West Virginia. They will go up and down the floor. They will battle them. They will make them work. Villanova will win this game. Villanova will eventually, with their guards, will win this game. And sure enough, Gus, even though I think West Virginia shot like 42% from three-point range, I think eventually they will have a bad spell and Villanova will take over. But without a doubt, this is the bracket I think I have nailed the most. Villanova will win this game against West Virginia. West Virginia doesn't have the all-around game to beat them. But this will be a war. This will be Clubber Lang and Rocky. Okay? And then what will happen is they will absolutely 
100% lose to Texas Tech in the next game. I know I'm giving a preview, but it is 100% what's going to happen. Yes. Villanova will beat West Virginia. West Virginia doesn't need a Kanate, the two-handed blocks, but he bricks every layup. The spread's five and a half. I'm taking Villanova. I will be glad to give the points. We love lines. I love that line. And I'll tell you right now, between that line and the other one we'll get to in a little bit with Purdue being favored while Isaac Haas is in the den of Frankenstein down in the cave trying to get something on his elbow. Those are crazy. Give me Villanova minus the points, and then they will come in bloodied and beaten up, and all the cocky Villanova fans will be like, oh, Texas Tech? Well, we're not favored by 17 and a half. And then down screen motion, Zach Smith, Zaire Smith, heads up, Keenan Evans ready right about now, and they'll go to the final four. There's your preview for you. Woo! Wow. All right. So, listeners, we're just going to jump in right here. <laughs> That's a phenomenal lead-in. You know, ever since we started the podcast, people have been asking us for advice. Well, let us tell you this. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So that's why we are going to lean people and direct people into the point in the direction of mybookie.ag. MyBookie has been in the business for years. Their rep, their rep is rock solid. They've been at this for a while. They do 50% cash bonuses. So right off the bat, as soon as you start an account and deposit $45, you are making money for doing absolutely nothing. They have some of the fastest payouts in the business. They have 48-hour processing. You know who's going to win. You just heard Mike and I break down like six, five or six games, right? So why not lay down some cash and win big today? They got live betting. They got some of the most of the rewarding player perks in the business. And they got the mobile app. So – Go to my bookie right now. They will match your deposit up to 50%. You, you know, you start your account, you jump in, put in a hundred bucks. Guess what? They're gonna put in 50 bucks to back you up. So that without laying down a wager at all. And please do us the favor. Please use the promo code SVS to activate that 50% bonus. Activate the bonus by using our promo code SVS. So visit mybookie.com when you play. You win, you get paid. And here's my two cents on this Villanova game, Mike. I have a big question mark underneath this. Like, you know, we always take notes in the notebook and we're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to say about this game? Like, what are we going to say about this player? I got a big question mark. I don't know. So then I got to the point where Nova, Nova is going to go big. Here's why. They're going to press. The press is going to lead to long skip passes. Villanova is not gonna pre- is not gonna like push up again with one more further pass to get an easy layup or a contested layup against Kanate. You know what they're gonna do? When they get through the initial part of the press, they're gonna bomb open threes. What's Villanova awesome at? Shooting threes. They hit threes like nobody's business in this tournament. Every single player that they put on the floor, probably except for like, I don't know. Cosby Roundtree can put up a three and hit it with unbelievable efficiency. I think it's over. I think it's ugly in the second half. And I think uh, West Virginia goes into one of those cycles where they don't get any stops, can't get anything going on the offensive end, and then they're struggling, pressing, and, and, and really like anxious. And I think this game is over quickly in the second half. And I think Villanova actually wins big. I'm really comfortable with the number of five and a half. So give me Villanova with the win, and I think one of those like storms of inefficiency for uh, West Virginia is coming, and I can see like Nova hitting double-digit threes in this game because of the press and the and the way that they would attack the press, which would be okay. Let's just break it. Let's let Brunson do his thing, and then guess what? When you have a three-on-two situation. They're going to shoot that open three and not drive it, and I think they hit a bunch of those open threes. So I like Nova big here. Tough to argue when Nova's shooting 40.2% from three-point range and West Virginia is 300th in the nation in defending three-point shooting. Tough to argue. I, I think that's where I think that's the way this is going to go in the second half. Okay, how about number 11, Syracuse? 23-13 and 13 versus the number two seed, Duke, who's 28-7. and seven. You're going to find this game on CBS – at 9:37, Syracuse had to defeat Arizona State in the playing game, then defeat TCU, and then take down the big upset, Michigan State, which crippled everybody's bracket uh, to get to this point. 
the number two seed Duke had to take down a very, uh, you know, frisky Iona team that had a great plan against the zone, just didn't have the personnel to execute that plan and then take down uh, a Coach Hurley team that was really well coached and had it like a very like unique game plan against the zone. Uh, they just didn't execute, I think, the way that they wanted to early and then got in a hole and then were playing a little anxious from there on out. So they had defeat, uh, Duke had to defeat Iona and URI. So, Mike, um, number 11, Syracuse. Number two, Duke. Duke is favored by 11 and a half here. Give us what you think might happen in the game and then give us what you think might happen with the point spread. Yeah, I, I think Duke rolls here. I don't care about the 11 points. Right, uh, Syracuse. You said they didn't pass the eye test. I think they benefited from some tr- uh, tricky matchups. They they got one against Arizona State, who had nobody inside. Right. Then they played a TCU team without a point guard. Then they played Michigan State with all the bad karma. Duke already played them this year. They played them at home. I, I you know it, it's they they lost. They beat them sixty forty four. I just don't see it. I don't see Syracuse keeping this close. I think. Being 325th with effective field goal percentage in the country, 341th in average length of possession, 345th in tempo. I think that catches up to them. Duke wants to play slow because they don't want to get in foul trouble. They'll right. make a couple shots. Grayson Allen's the difference. I love Chuku. I love saying Chuku also, but I, I just <laughs> – I don't see it. I'll give the 11. I think Duke rolls. They got a dream trip. I would have liked to see him against Michigan State, but I'm not buying it. I'm taking Duke minus the 11. Uh, I, I wish we give the listeners a little better, like, I, I don't know, back and forth here, but I'm totally with you. I think Duke and I think Duke big. Here's why I think Duke big. You think Coach K is not going to know how to explore, like, the soft spots and the creases in that zone? Where do you think he stole it from? He stole it from the guy that he's going to be coaching against. I think Duval actually plays a big role here as, like, uh, you know, a breakdown dribble guy that can explore that zone and the soft spots in it. Um, I think Duke runs a massive defensive rebound advantage here, and I think they actually run out to some easy buckets as well. So not only are they going to be you know, pounding it inside and having Carter and Bagley do their thing you know, on the post or at least on the short post or maybe even on the elbow, but I think they're going to actually you know, get the rebound, kick it out, and I think their athleticism is going to play some dividends, and I think that's where Duval actually will – be really advantageous. So I, I I think he's going to get some easy buckets and get some easy looks. I can also see if they get those defensive rebounds or they get out and shoot a couple threes on the break that are going to be open threes and not contested threes like they would be in the zone. So I really like Duke big here. Uh, I, I, I don't see any recipe for Syracuse to slow it down and, you know, slop it up and, and find a win here. The numbers don't say that that's going to happen. And I think the eye test also says that that's not going to happen either. So I'm, I'm in a total agreement with you here. Yeah, I just don't see it. I'd love to, to tell you something differently. I would have liked to see Michigan State. I think it's a better matchup. I don't buy this. I think Duke gets up. And much like Virginia, Syracuse gets down 13, 15 points. The game's over. I totally agree with you there. Okay, last game of the Sweet 16, number three, Texas Tech, 26 and 9. Versus number two, Purdue, 30 and 6. You can find this game on TBS at 9.57, which means you'll find it a little bit after 10 o'clock. Texas Tech had to defeat a traditionally strong in the tournament, Stephen F. Austin team. And then they had to beat a Florida team with a very, very competitive point guard in Chris Gioza. And that you saw what ha- had to happen in that game for Texas Tech to sneak through. They had to have a Keenan Evans uh, crossover dribble and an unbelievable uh, alley-oop pass and then a couple of missed threes. And then you have the number two team, Purdue, had to beat uh, Cal State Fullerton and then uh, take down Keenan, uh, Keenan Martin and Butler. So, Mike, I know that we have the Isaac Haas injury as part of this storyline, and Purdue is only favored by one and a half currently. What do you see happening here? I think you gave a little preview earlier, but just give us the breakdown. Give us your full reasoning of why you think that's going to happen. Go to the bank. Take out a home equity line of credit, go to mybookie.ag, and put the entire home equity line of credit on Texas Tech getting one and a half. I understand the season that Purdue has had. I understand they've been fantastic this year. They're missing their seven foot two center, who one could argue is the most important or second most important player on the team. If you need proof of that, 
Look at how John Beeline defended Purdue. He took away the threes and tried to let Isaac Haas beat him, and Isaac Haas did beat him twice, on the road and at home. He's wearing an arm brace if he plays on his shooting elbow, okay? And Texas Tech is back to having the look. You know what the look is, guys? The look is when you're driving to the basket like Florida and getting pinned off the backboard loudly by Zach Smith and Zaire Smith. They are closing down the defensive lanes. Chris Beard is all over the place. I think Seth Davis it was. Maybe it was Rossi. I think it was Davis. Put out on Twitter today. Somebody asked him, what were the five best practices by coaches that you've seen? He said Brad Stevens. He said Dick Bennett and Tony Bennett, of course, right? Sure. Because I know Tony Bennett can't coach now, right? Okay, but fine. And he said Chris Beard. I forget who the fifth one was. Texas Tech has length. Texas Tech slashes and cuts. Purdue's not going to be able to deal with it. Carson Edwards is certainly a spectacular player, but one would think he'd be slightly limited against Keenan Evans. I mean, I don't think he's dropping 28 in this game. So let's see. Their point guard, who's their best player, will be limited. Their center, who's wearing an arm brace if he plays on a shooting hand, will be limited. But hey, we have Ryan Klein, who Matt Painter subs in for Carson Edwards at the game, at the end of the game anyway. No chance. Right. I love it. I don't know why Texas Tech is the underdog. This is the right line if Isaac Haas was fully healthy. He is not. Painter versus Beard. No thank you. Love Texas Tech in this spot. Well, I love that we're starting and ending with an argument. Absolutely love it. I'm completely on the other side of you here. Here's my reasoning. Here's my rationale. The question with Purdue all season was, what do you do? Do you double off of Haas, off of those three-point shooters, and let them shoot threes, or do you just go one-on-one and let Haas do his thing down low? Guess what? That decision that coaches had to make, which was very black or white, which was very, like, you know, one way or the other, is now out of that decision-making process. Now, you don't know what to do. You have no clue what this Boiler team is going to do. Sure, do you have 40 minutes of game tape that you can watch with no Isaac Haas from the previous game against Butler? Yeah, you could. But are you really going to figure anything out like that? You even said that Coach Painter muffed a whole bunch of substitutions and a whole bunch of decision-making in that particular game. You're going to use that for game tape to figure that out? No way. Look, I agree with you. The Keenan Evans-Carson Edwards matchup is possibly the best matchup that we're going to see in this whole entire Sweet 16. If you're going to tell me that you're going to have two difference-making point guards, two different difference-making lead guards that are going to go head-to-head and try to like out-duel each other, that is awesome. It's sick. I can't wait to watch it. That is going to be phenomenal. But Coach Beard is an unbelievable coach. But he has no clue what Purdue is going to throw at him in this particular matchup. And I think somehow, some strange way, I think that's advantage Purdue. I think Eastern, I think Eifert play uh, critical roles off the bench. I'm not saying either one of them is going to score double digits, but I bet each one of them make impactful plays off the bench for Purdue. And you know what the other thing to pay attention to here? And this is what I was calling for, and this is one of the things we talked about with Dr. Tony when we were out watching games uh, on Thursday and Friday, is P.J. Thompson has played the two best games back-to-back in the tournament that he's played probably in a month. That guy is making buckets. He's penetrating. He's confident shooting from the three. So I think P.J. Thompson realizes that, like, look, this is my time. I'm a senior leader. I got to step up for my guy that's out and has no impact on this game. I have to put my imprint and my fingerprint on this game, and I'm going to do so. And he's done that the last two two games. So I'm going to go the complete other way, and I'm going to take Purdue – And I'm going to take Purdue because of the uncertainty and because you don't know what you're going to get from this team. And give me Vince Edwards. Give me Vince Edwards with some freedom in the in the mid post and low post because the uh, because Haas is not there and they're going to get him more touches. He's unbelievably creative. He is one of three players in the nation that has uh, a certain number of rebounds, certain number of points, certain number of assists, certain number of three point makes. 
He does everything. He is the Swiss Army knife for this team, and he is borderline undefendable. Can Zaire Smith match up with him athletically? Absolutely. Can Zach Smith match up with him on defensive end? Absolutely. Is that a bad matchup? I think it's pretty even, but I think Vince Edwards is also going to be impactful in this game and really make a difference. So I'm going to say I'm arguing with you 100%. Give me Purdue to win this game and then go on to play Villanova. So I love that we're ending the podcast with another argument. So let me get this straight, partner. Therefore, any team that loses one of their best players has an advantage. I don't know what they're going to do. What did Kansas State do without their best player? Is that what you're saying? So it's now – so let me ask you a question. So, no, no, no. It's not, it's, not, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they don't know what this team is going to do. And that's an advantage. You, you cited that as a big advantage. You said that was their first advantage, that that Haas is not there. You can't prepare for them. Correct. So, you, you're at, but you, so you're saying that losing Haas actually is an advantage to the in, in a one-game single elimination tournament, yes. Right now, yes. Maybe you think that. And if you think that, that's because you think Matt Painter is a better coach than me. Because I, I, I get Vince Edwards. I could see the Vince Edwards situation. He could have a spectacular game. I could see Carson Edwards even out-dueling Keenan Evans. I can't see it being a positive that Beard's sitting there going, man, they don't have Isaac Haas, but that's going to make him tougher. I know Dr. Tony loves Matt Harms. Okay, that's great. Matt <laughs> Harms came <laughs> okay. in. Very he good, kept, you know, he kept parting his hair on the right constantly, nonstop with the parting on the right. Okay? Very funny. I, I just think, you know, I think what's going to happen is they're going to say, don't worry about partnering on the right. There, worry about the shot going off the backboard. I get it. I, listen, I want to, do you think Haas is going to play? That's my question. Uh, yeah, you know what? I think he's going to play a couple minutes. And I how do you think he'll be? I think he'll be very ordinary, but I think it'll be inspirational for the rest of the team. That I could buy. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about my, but the one weakness I'm worried about is Haas coming out like Daniel LaRusso with the brace and he gets on the floor and he never shoots, but he rebounds a ton. And that I don't want to see. And listen, Vince Edwards could have a game, but I still feel like maybe he's a little banged up. We'll find out. But I will tell you, we started disagreeing. We ended disagreeing. And I think, partner, we disagreed over the two games that we want to see the most. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Are you definitely. kidding me? Yep. I think the Sweet 16 brackets perfectly because you get to kick it off with a game you're unbelievably excited to see. And then you end it with the game that you have no idea what's going to happen. And you totally want to see that Carson Edwards, Keenan Evan matchup. And I think... What else do you want from March? It's giving us it's given us everything that we could hope for, and it's gonna continue to give. I love that the Sweet 16 and March Madness is gonna continue to give. So, listeners, I just want to say a, a nice thank you. Mike and I have been paying attention to the metrics, we've been paying attention to the listenership. The past couple podcasts have been through the roof for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We want to say thank you for spreading the good word. The good word on the screen the screener podcast is also in iTunes review or a- Apple Podcasts review. And we just want to give a nice thank you to Trains B-Ball. Thank you for the nice five-star review and the nice comments. We want to say, Runner, 1180, keep doing your thing. Thank you for giving the nice review on the podcast. We want to say, you know, Mac Newworth, I love that you included chicken soup in your review. That's unbelievable. We hope that we keep helping, uh, helping out on a commute. Uh, we're going to leave out the name of the next one. Because it's a D's something bag. But we just want to say thank you for your review and very hilarious name on your review. We want to say thank you, Diego Barcelona fan. Totally long review, too long to list. But we want to say thank you for your kind words. Kindness is always cool. We want to say thank you, NFC1468. Shout out to you. What up? Ahoy. Thank you for the kindness. We want to say, hey, yo, snowman like me. Are you kidding me? Thank you for being so kind, snowman like me. We want to say college basketball fanny. Love that you included fanny. That's a word that I use with my girls all the time at home to keep it classy. Thank you for the uh, shout out on iTunes review. And we want to say Parker House Bouncer. Are you kidding me? We're getting bouncers to give us reviews. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Tummy Hair. And thank you, Joe K07. 
do you believe we have that many reviews and that many thank yous to say thank you to? These guys have been stepping up and doing their thing. We are well over 100 reviews. So congratulations, listeners. We're really fired up, folks, and we appreciate that. Gus had the challenge of getting to 100. We're now at 103. We're going strong. Give us a review, a rating on iTunes. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio also. And we're really working hard for you. We know you appreciate it. This is the 15th podcast partner that we've done in 20 days. 15th podcast. And we had a couple guest spots and, and we got some short corners up there. Like there, 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 I don't think there's many other avenues that you could go to that are going to give you more college basketball knowledge that you can imbibe, ingest, and appreciate. So thank you listeners for doing it on all fronts. Hit up Mike's uh, site, randallrant.com, and then hit up the short corner if you're looking for a couple of things in screen the screen or in print. Give the podcast a follow on Twitter at SDS Podcast, Efficiency of Key Searching, of course. And if you're looking for a phenomenal follow on Twitter, you found it. You can hit up Mike at Randall Rant. He is both insightful, intelligent, and entertaining. So do all those things. And listeners, thank you. And please enjoy the sweet 16 we are going to enjoy it with you and thank you for letting us keep you company along your commute in your earbuds or in your speakers and getting you ready for march madness round two can't wait for it folks tweet us on during the games we'll get right back to you we're getting fired up here we go partner refreshed and replenished 64 32 now we're at 16 by the time we get to friday we'll have eight teams left cheers cilantro grazie lazia arigato